You guys, it's, uh, it's not very often we show movie or TV trailers at church, uh, but this is a great resource that uh, we're going to encourage you to check out. I'm actually going to talk about it a bit at the end of my message, but we thought we'd play a trailer for you. Makes Jesus kind of look pretty B.A., right? Like, trouble, trouble, no. So you guys, uh, you know, if you've been around a bit, uh, I have uh, an interesting family. Um, there are three brothers and one sister, and growing up, all five of us lived in, all five brothers and my parents uh, lived in our little house in Dickensfield, and let's just say we were no Von Trapp family. Sound of Music reference worked. I liked it. Aaron got, yes, thank you. Adrian told me the Sound of Music would never play in church, but... Uh, went for it. Um, We loved each other, even though you wouldn't be able to tell that by the way we treated each other growing up, which I think is really common in a lot of families. And I remember my parents would leave my oldest brothers, Josh and Nathan, in charge of Jacob and Jillian and myself when they would go to places like Bible study. I, I don't know if they went to Bible study or not, but that's where they told us they were going. And as soon as the door closed behind them, my oldest brothers would organize a cage fight between me and my sister where the first person to bleed loses. I never won one time against my sister. She always made me bleed first. Uh, and, or there was a time they went to Bible study and we decided, let's see what happens if we put our little brother Jake, who must have been six or seven at the time, in some luggage and roll it down the stairs you know, will he survive? Uh, he did. Growing up, all four of my brothers, the four of us, we all really looked alike. Now, age and time has kind of widened the gap a little bit between uh, us looking alike. But growing up, we were very similar looking. And so similar that when, uh, when we were younger, my little brother Jake, he was the quarterback of the high school football team, which made him very popular with the other students. Now, I did musical theater growing up, and uh, I was less popular than Jake when I was in high school. But Jake had this benefit from being the high school quarterback that when he would go to places like Dairy Queen or the movie theater, the kids behind the counter working would recognize him and give him free stuff, free popcorn or a free blizzard or whatever, and it was a benefit of being popular. And I discovered that if I went to these places and pretended to be Jacob... I got the high school quarterback discount too, even though I wasn't in high school anymore. And we all got so used to being confused for each other that one time my my brother Nathan, he was set to go on a missions trip to Hawaii. (laughs) Can you call it a missions trip if it's to Hawaii? Uh, And I ran into somebody at the Quiznos. That's rude. Yes, you can go to a missions trip to Hawaii. I should let that be. Yes, if you're called to Hawaii, go. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cast judgment on anybody doing missions work in Hawaii. Um, But Nathan was going, and I ran into somebody at the Quiznos who thought I was Nathan. And Nathan was set to leave that weekend, and they said, and we had decided beforehand, if we get mistaken for each other, we're not going to correct people. And so this person at the Quiznos was like, oh, I can't believe you're going on this missions this weekend. I was like, yeah, it's going to be a good time. It's going to be serious. And they said, can I pray for you? And right in the Quiznos, thinking I was Nathan, I let them pray for me (laughs) before I was going on my mission trip that weekend. One time when uh, Adrian and I, we had just had our first son, Justice, he was a baby, an infant, and I was leading worship, 
and my little brother Jacob was sitting with my wife and my infant son just over there, kind of where Dave is sitting, and somebody walked up to them and shook Jacob's hand and said, congratulations on becoming a father. My, my teenage brother sitting with my wife and child, congratulations on becoming a father. And Jake didn't miss a beat. He just said, thank you. I just love him so much. <laughs> All these people in these scenarios thought they knew exactly who they were talking to, right? They knew who it was, that the hand, who they were praying for, whose hand they were shaking. They were convinced they knew who they really were talking to. But they were completely wrong. And one of the things they all had in common was that they kind of only knew us a little bit. Each one, that None of them were close friends, right? Um, it, it wasn't... We weren't... It wasn't anybody who was close with us. And sometimes... I wonder if it is possible that we can be this way with Jesus. Is it possible that we can know just enough about him that we can get confused about him? Is it possible that we think we, we know who he is, but really we might just know information about him? I do think it is possible for us to know all about Jesus to know his story, to know he was born in a place called Bethlehem, to know that his parents were Joseph and Mary, to know he had a cousin named John that had 12 best buds that he traveled around the Middle East with, doing miraculous things, changing the world history as we know it. And I think it's possible to know all about Jesus and yet not actually know Jesus. And that is certainly not the way he wants it to be. He wants to know you. He wants you to know him. Not just him as some far-off deity sitting on a star in another universe, callously watching your life from a distance. No. He wants to know you like a brother knows a brother or a mother knows a child or a best friend who is able to finish all of your Sandwiches? <laughs> sentences. A best friend who can finish all of your sentences. And Jesus once said this in John 10. John recorded him saying, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. When he calls you, he wants you to know it's him. Where he goes, he wants you to follow close behind and the problem is is that some of us however it has happened have been sold a counterfeit version of Jesus a Jesus who is void of personality a stained glass version of Jesus and he's up there doing heaven things in heaven and he's left us behind to do earth things on earth like a distant authority figure or a historical character that we've left in the past like a dad who went out for cigarettes but never came back we know about him of him but we don't know him but Jesus does not want to be left in the history books or stuck in the future he is the God of the now he wants to know us right now, and he wants us to know him right now. He is 
personal. He is a person that you can get to know. And that is exactly what we are going to talk about for these next four weeks. We're calling this message series Beautiful Outlaw because we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk a lot about Jesus. And we're going to try not to just accumulate more knowledge about what he did and more knowledge about the facts of his life, but we want to actually experience his personality to discover that maybe he is playful, that he is disruptively honest, that he loves us deeply, which means sometimes having awkward conversations that you don't want to have because he loves us, that he wants to fully know us, and he wants us to fully know him. And, and here's the thing, this, this, is, this is why this idea is important. It is possible for a person to go to church, to sing the songs, to do all the church things and miss learning to hear the voice of Jesus. It is possible for us to know about him and never really get to know him. And this is a trap that the devil has cunningly laid before us. It's subtle and it's religious and it robs us of knowing Jesus in the ways that he wants us to know him. You see, when Jesus showed up on the scene in the very first century, this is exactly the problem the people of God had found themselves in. They had walked straight into this snare of the enemy. See, they were sons of Abraham. They, they were God's chosen people. They had laws to follow. They had a temple to go to. And before Jesus had arrived on the scene, God had a period of hundreds of years where he was silent, where he wasn't talking to his chosen People, and it was like nobody even noticed because they had religion and not enough relationship. And though for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, God did not initially send his son to the whole world. He sent it to his own people, the people of God. Eventually the world was included in the scenario, but initially God sent him to the religious ones to redirect them, to challenge them, to wake them up from their slumber and to restore a relationship. Jesus' most famous sermon is called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He gave this sermon on a hill. That's the best title that we could come up with, the Sermon on the Mount. And it wasn't directed at people outside the church walls. It was directed at the people inside the church walls. His sermon was incredibly tactful and deeply challenging to this crowd of insiders, to the religious, to the chosen, to the people who thought everything was good, they made all the right decisions, followed all the right laws, did all the things God wanted them to do. This is what Jesus said to this crowd of insiders gathered that day. You have heard it said, you must not murder, but I say... If someone slaps you on the right cheek, or sorry, that's a different verse, <laughs> don't murder. But I say, if you have anger in your heart against your brother, you have sinned. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say, if you look at a person with lust in your hearts, you have done wrong. You may have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other one in its place. 
You may have heard it said, love your enemy and hate, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemy and pray for those who hurt you. Jesus is rattling their religious cages. You've always done it this way. I know that this is what you've learned and what you've done and what you've practiced and you've done all right at it, but this is not the point. Where has it got you? You've followed the law. You've prayed the prayers. You've gone to the temple and you've made your sacrifices and yet somehow it has not been enough. And then things get serious. This next passage is not fun. It's very uncomfortable. And anybody who reads it or hears it, the fear of the Lord should probably boil up inside of you. In the closing words of this famous sermon, he issues a stern warning and he says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. And on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name and served on the worship team in your name and put money in the offering in your name and, and we did all these things in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Jesus is preaching to the choir and he's telling the choir that being in the choir is not the whole point. It's not all about the religious trappings and expectations. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing Jesus first and foremost. I have been a Christian like a long time. Not as long as Blair Thompson or Murray Esau. They've been Christians a really, really, really long time. But I've been a Christian a long time. Or James, I'm sorry, can't forget you, James. You've been a Christian a really long time. You met, you met God at the burning bush, didn't you? <laughs> I want to hear about that sometime. I've been a Christian a really, really, really long time. And, you know, I became a Christian in Kid City upstairs when I was just a kid. I was baptized in our defunct baptismal tank back here when I was a teenager. I've been on worship teams my whole life. I've been in community groups. I've gone on the missions trips. And now I'm a pastor and this Sermon on the Mount, these words, this warning, these tactful and surgical words are for me. A long time Christian. See, God's not after my obedience or my time or my hard work. He's not desperate for me to say all of the right things or do all of the right things. What He wants is to know me and for me to know him. Now, this is serious. I'm sorry, we went really serious. That's not the point of this. I'm not trying to scare you. I don't think we should be afraid. I don't think you should be sitting there questioning whether you know Jesus or whether you're a Christian or you have enough faith. That is absolutely not what this is about. But I do want to challenge us for these next few weeks together where we look at Jesus and his person and his personality to truly seek him, to earnestly ask him, to reveal to himself to us, to pursue him in friendship and discover things about him that we just didn't know before, to not be content with where we're at, 
But like any good relationship or friendship, try to discover something new about him. Let the religious fog clear and begin an earnest pursuit of discovering fresh again the person of Jesus. Now, I've been totally uh, captivated by the pictures coming out from the deep space, James Webb Space Telescope. Um, the universe is unfathomable, right? Look at this. Like, how many galaxies are we looking at here, John? It's a nebula. Oh, it's a nebula? <laughs> We're looking at one nebula. <laughs> it's pretty great, though. It's unfathomable how large the universe is. These pictures are incredible. It's uncontainable. We will never discover the edge of the universe. And I love this idea because it reminds me a lot of Jesus. You may have been a Christian all of your life, but there is more of him to discover. You may have been going to church for years now, and you're comfortable in your faith. You need to know there is a universe of truth about Jesus yet for you to discover. One of my favorite bands, uh, the, the name of the band is Citizens and Saints, and they released a new song about Jesus. It's called Everything and More. And I'm not going to sing it for you, but I will read you the lyrics uh, from the end of the song. It says, more than we ever thought. We couldn't dream it up. We'll spend forever with you. Won't find the edges of you. You're our eternity, infinite destiny. Go on forever with you. Won't find the edges of you. Jesus is everything, and he is more. There is more for us to discover about Jesus. And in the coming weeks, we're going to spend time together looking at the different sides of Jesus and discover that he might just be a little bit playful, that he's fiercely intentional, that he is extravagantly generous, that he is disruptively honest, that he's humble, but he's also cunning and true. It's why John Eldridge calls Jesus a beautiful outlaw, which is also the name of the, his book, John Eldridge's book, Beautiful Outlaw, that I'm just stealing from a whole lot of stuff for this sermon series. A couple of months ago, I was helping out a couple in premarital counseling. My wife thinks this is something I probably shouldn't do, but it's part of my job to do. And, uh, and I was helping them out, and at the end of the session, the bride looked at me, and she said, you know, what is your best piece of marriage advice that you have learned? And Adrian and I have been married for 15 years, and uh, I'd like to think we have a pretty solid marriage and relationship. I mean, we share an office together and haven't murdered each other, so that's like a pretty good indication uh, that things are going well. And I told this couple that I think, my best advice, I think the best marriages are ones that fall in love. Not just that singular moment in time where you discover that you love each other, but the perpetual action of constantly falling in love. Falling in love fresh over and over again, which means spending time together. It means going on dates. It means sharing with each other your hopes and your dreams. You can't just fall in love and be done. The best marriages spend the rest of their lives falling again and again and again. It's a decision to wake up every day and discover something new you love 
about your partner. But this is like any meaningful relationship. If you don't invest in it, it won't be a very good relationship. Whether a friend or a family, if you want a relationship to thrive, you have to invest in it. This is the same about and true about our relationship with Jesus. It takes intentionality. You have to choose to invest and to pursue and discover, try to discover each and every new day something new that you love about him, something new that you discover about him. And the good news is we'll never find the edges of him. And there's always more to discover. I want to offer you a couple of resources as I close, things that I think will help us over these next four weeks as we look at Jesus, uh, what we, I think might just be helpful. I lost my resources. You guys are gone. There they are. Uh, things that I think will actually help us. And as I close, in a few moments we're going to do communion together. I'm actually going to invite the band. They're going to lead us in a couple of worship songs uh, as we do communion together. But the first thing I want to offer you is this book we're talking about, The Beautiful Outlaw. Um, it is a very special book. It's one of the best books about Jesus that I have, yeah, you guys can come up, uh, that I think I've ever read. A book that helped me discover a new side of Jesus that I didn't exist uh, that I didn't know existed before. And it's not long. If you're not a reader, don't worry. It's not long. It's short. The chapters are short. It's really easy to read, but it's powerful and it's enlightening and it's helpful. And so we have a bunch of copies of this beautiful outlaw out in the lobby. You can buy it for $25. We don't make any money off of that. That's just the cost of the book. But I'm telling you, it's $25 that is worth investing in your relationship with Jesus to, to help you discover something new about him. So you can stop by the connection desk after if you're interested in buying that book. Second, the resource I want to encourage you to, to pursue is that TV series we showed at the beginning there, The Chosen. There's two seasons. I think there's a third season coming out. It's a TV show, right? It has a bunch of artistic license. But one of the things it does really well is it helps you maybe to see a different side of the personality of Jesus that you didn't know before. Right, we've got these versions of Jesus that are kind of stoic and wispy and, and you know, he kind of just walks around quietly like making weird hand motions all the time. Like we have this wrong view of Jesus and what the chosen does is helpfully breaks down those preconceptions about who he is. And so it's kid friendly. The first few episodes are kind of boring, but then it picks up after that. So you've got to get through it uh, to get the good stuff. So the chosen, I encourage you to check that out. And the last thing I want to encourage you to do, and this is one thing I, I, I want to ask that you all do this. I want to challenge you to commit to this small last thing I'm going to encourage you to do. is deciding to spend this month of August, there's, there's three and a half weeks left in August, uh, deciding to spend the month of August reading the story, the narrative of Jesus as written by his best friend John. There are 21 chapters in the book of John and so if you read a chapter or two a day which will take no more than five minutes if you read a chapter or two a day of John take a few minutes to do that uh, and then and when you're done reading that short chapter take a minute to quiet your heart and mind and just ask Jesus what did I learn about you 
in this chapter, in this story about you today. There's lots to learn in John. There's lots of historical information. There's lots of theological information. That's not why, don't read it looking for that. Don't read it looking for that. Read John looking for Jesus, who he is, who he was to the people around him, who he wants to be to you. And so read a chapter or two a day. Take a moment and say, Jesus, what are you revealing to yourself about me in these chapters? I believe he wants to answer you. I believe he wants a relationship with you in that way. And here's the thing about Jesus. He is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He is everything and more. We could spend a thousand years getting to know him and discovering him and his personality, his heart for people, his love for us, and never find the edges of him. I truly believe that an intimate encounter with Jesus is the most transforming experience a human can know. To know him as he is. To know his life. To know his joy and love and presence cannot be compared. And this is why being mistaken about Jesus and who he is and how he feels and what he's like is maybe the biggest mistake of all. Don't be content with Jesus just being an acquaintance. Don't be content just knowing about him. He has more for you. Encourage him. Pursue him. And attempt to discover what that is. I'm going to take a moment to pray before we go into some communion. And I actually have a written out prayer that if you'd like to pray with me, you can do that. And it's a prayer basically inviting Jesus new and afresh to reveal his personality, his character, and his person to you in a new and fresh way. And so I'm going to pray it. And if you like, you can pray it out loud. I'll, I'll, I'll break but behind each line. I'll, you can pray it out loud or you can pray it in your heart. Uh, if you'd like to pray it with me, I, I encourage you. So let's take a moment. Let's pray together. And, and we'll do that together. So the prayer goes like this. Jesus, show me who you really are. I pray for the true you. I want the real you. I ask for you. Spirit of God, free me in every way to know Jesus as he really is. Open my eyes to see him. Deliver me from everything false. And bring me what is true. Amen. This morning, we're going to take communion together as the band leads us through a couple of worship songs. And, and communion is a practice that was first initiated by Jesus the night before his death. He sat at dinner with his closest friends and he held up the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And they ate together. And then he held up the wine and he said, this is my blood given for you, poured out for you. And they drank it together. And 2,000 years later, we still can meet Jesus at this communion table. We eat the bread and we drink together. And in the mystery of heaven, we experience and know Jesus. In the crazy and chaotic world that we live in, we know with confidence that Jesus will always meet us
at this table. It was his promise to meet us there. Sometimes I'm a little bit jealous of John and the other guys who got to enjoy that first communion with Jesus. And John knew that might happen. And so looking ahead to us, writing to us thousands of years later, this is what John said. He said, from the first, very first day we were there taking it all in, we heard it with our own ears, we saw it with our own eyes, and verified it with our own hands. The word of life appeared right before our eyes. We saw it happen. And now we're telling you in most sober prose that what we witnessed was incredibly this. The infinite life of God himself took shape before us. We saw it, we heard it, and now we're telling you so you can experience it along with us. This experience of communion with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. Our motive for writing is simply this. We want you to enjoy this too. And so when you're ready, as the band leads us, please come. Take the communion elements and you can go off to the side or back to your seat and enjoy the presence and the life of Jesus in these next few moments together. And if you'd like prayer, we'll have a prayer team over on the side of the room. You can go to them. They'd love to pray with you. So please stand with us as, we're, as we worship. And as you're ready, please come to the front and take the communion elements, and we'll take communion in these moments together.